We're in our marriage series called Unbreakable. In today's teaching, we're going to be looking at right words. Um, I'm not the senior pastor here. If you're new to our church, Pastor Jim uh, was preaching at our Harupa Valley campus this morning. Uh, my name is David Geith. I'm one of the deacons here. And I'm just pleased to be here with you today. And I, I'm looking forward to what God is going to share with each one of us. As I've been ministered to over the last couple weeks, as I've had the opportunity to put this together, um, God has spoken to me in a lot of ways that have just inspired me and, and challenged me and gave me hope. And so I hope that today all of that gets imparted to you. And so with that, I'd like to start out with just reading the passage of Scripture that we're going to be sitting in, and then we're going to uh, pray and we'll get right into it. Um, this morning, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, open it up there. If you have your electronic Bibles, you could turn it on that way. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Proverbs chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 19. It says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. And he who finds a good wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And all the wives say, Amen. yeah, I figured as much. All right, Lord, we come before you this morning, and uh, we do thank you for our wives, Lord, us husbands. Um, but Lord, I thank you especially that everyone that has chosen to be here today has come ready to hear something from you. Lord, I have to believe that we're all ready because otherwise to come here would just be a waste of an hour and a half of our day. And so Lord, I thank you for each one that showed up early enough to be here in time for worship and anticipation of wanting their heart prepared for the message that you have for us today. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will, whether they made it in time for worship or not, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just move across the congregation, Lord, and cultivate our hearts in such a way that we could receive the word planted into our hearts today and that it would produce a crop that changes our lives forever. So Lord, we anticipate change and you're a loving God that gives life and we expect uh, life to be bestowed on us today. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you, when you wake up in the morning, have ever taken your tube of toothpaste and you go to put it on your toothbrush and you go to stick it in your mouth and that little, about half of it falls into the sink? That ever happen? How many of you are like me and you think that is like the grossest thing ever? You don't even want to touch it, right? I don't want to like wipe that down in the sink. I leave it for my wife to do. She wondered, that's where that comes from. No. Um, I will like rinse five or six times trying to spit it down the drain. I do not want to have to touch that. But inevitably, sometimes it's just too much. You got to wipe that thing down. Oh, and gag reflex. Like it's just nasty. Like that thing was supposed to be in my mouth and it's sitting in the sink and just, it's just gross. Not that my wife doesn't clean the sink. She does. They're the cleanest sinks ever. But that's just gross, right? And then what if you leave it and you come back the next day and you look down and you go, oh, there's toothpaste in my sink. Now you got to wet it and reconstitute it and mix it up real good and then scrape it down in the drain. It's just nasty. Uh, terrible thing. A mother 
whose daughter was starting uh, junior high college, or junior high school rather, uh, she was getting ready to go on, and a mother wanted to teach her daughter a lesson, something, a life lesson that she would remember forever. And so her mother, I don't think she thought of this originally, but uh, what she did was, was quite amazing, and so <clears throat> I wanted to share it with you today. She grabbed her daughter, and she wanted to make sure that her daughter knew how important words were. And so she gave her daughter a tube of toothpaste, and I've been waiting to do this all week long. And I've already got to do it twice, so this is my third time. And she tells her daughter, I want you to squeeze all of that toothpaste out of the tooth, uh, toothpaste tube into uh, a plate similar to this. Sorry, Pastor Jim. And then she tells her daughter, now I want you to put it all back into the tube. And the daughter, of course, come perplexed. She didn't know her mom was about to talk to her about words or anything else. And so the daughter just responded and kind of chuckled and laughed, a little confused. She goes, Mom, you know I can't put that back in the tube. That's impossible. And the mom said something, and I love the way the mom said it. I have to read it for you because if I try to ad-lib this or give it to you, I'm just going to mess it up. And so I'm going to read to you what is recorded that the mother said. And you might have heard this. It's been shared on Facebook, I hear, more than two million times. But the mom said this to her daughter. She says, your words have the power of life and death. As you go into middle school, you're about to see just how much weight your words carry. You're going to have the opportunity to use your words to hurt, demean, slander, and wound others. You're also going to have the opportunity to use your words to heal, encourage, inspire, and love others. You'll occasionally make the wrong choice. I can think of three times this week I've used my own words to carelessly cause harm. Just like this toothpaste, once the words leave your mouth, you can't take them back. You're, choose your words carefully, Brianna, for when others are misusing their words, guard your words. Make the choice every morning that life-giving words will come out of your mouth. Decide tonight that you're going to be a life-giver in middle school. Be known for the gentleness, be known for your gentleness and compassion. Use your life to give life to a world that so desperately needs it. You will never, ever regret choosing kindness. Is that not a great lesson? I mean, as I was retyping, you know, I found it online and I'm putting this into my message. Tears were coming. Not so much because it was sentiment. It's such a powerful message to tell our children, to tell us. This isn't just for the seventh grader entering junior high or sixth grader. This is for us as well, for married individuals to choose our words carefully because once we say those negative words against our spouse, against our loved one, against our friend, we could never ever take those words back. You can't take it back. It's too late. It's out there. And so today we want to learn to use right words and we're looking at it as one of the key strands in our relationship that will make our relationship with our spouse unbreakable. Our theme verse that we've been looking at every week, and uh, just because Pastor Jim is gone does not mean we do things our own way. So Pastor Jim would say, I'm only going to have you read this one verse today. So we're going to read this one verse today. Read it together with me, if you will. And if one can overpower... Okay, stop. See, I sound just like Pastor Jim, right? That's so let's start again. Here we go. And if one can overpower him who is alone... Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. 
Yeah, a cord of three strands. It's unbreakable. A rope is considered to be, well, I mean, obviously you could eventually break a rope, but it's, the teaching point is that a rope is unbreakable because there's three strands to it. Now, the three strands in a marriage, of course, are the husband, the wife, and then there's the God strand. And it's that God strand that we've been looking at in this series, that third strand. And, and two weeks ago, Pastor Jim in this series looked at the third strand of attitude in our marriage. And then last week, he looked at the third strand of love and respect. And this week, we're looking at the third strand of right words. All of these are godly characteristics that make for a healthy marriage. Whether you're married here today or uh, you're a single individual, this message carries weight for all of us because it's the words of our mouth. They carry so much power, life and death, as we're going to see in just a moment. The theme that we have for our marriage series that we've been looking at every week, if you'd read this with me also, this would be the last thing I'll ask you to read. Uh, make this one the best one. Make this one the best one. Meaning, if this is, uh, if you're dating to get married, if you are married, uh, if you desire to be married, um, if you're divorced and looking to remarry, make this marriage or the one to come the very best one. And that's our desire as we get into this teaching. Uh, the first point on your outline there we'll look at today is that right words are as satisfying as a good meal. Notice Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20. It says, With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Now, some of the guys are probably reading this and going, man, if I really tell my wife some sweet nothing, she's going to make me a great meal tonight. And she's thinking, you keep talking to me the way you've been talking to me, you ain't getting nothing. Actually, the writer of Proverbs isn't even referring to that. He's not referring to physical food. Instead, he's talking about something else, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I don't know about you, but I do like to eat. Um... Too much, unfortunately. I mean, I do go to the gym three, four, maybe five times a week at times, but you would never know it. You really won't. I mean, this, and it's because I just like to eat. And so they say that nutrition is like 80 to 90% of being slim and trim and fit and so on and so forth. And I totally, I totally believe that. Rich, uh, Rich always says, you know, that he, um, he works out so hard so that he can eat however he wants. I work out hard and I still can't eat whatever I want. But eating is like this celebration for me. I just love good food. I wake up in the morning and I celebrate with breakfast. Like it's a celebration. I'm alive. I'm awake. I want to go eat. You know, I eat dinner and it's a celebration. We go out with our family. I ought to have the right to eat. I shouldn't have to diet. I go on a cruise ship and I can guarantee you I want to eat $2,500 worth of food and I probably will. <laughs> Because it's my right. I paid for that cruise and I want to celebrate. And when I diet, my wife will tell you that oftentimes I will pout at the table because I don't get to eat what I really want to eat. Um, us guys, you know, what do we do? We eat a good meal. What's the first thing we want to go do after a good meal? Go sit on the, go to sleep. Go sit on the couch. Turn on the game, whatever. Loosen up the belt. If no one's home, you might put on your favorite stretchy pants. Whatever. But you're going to let the belly out. And you're going to lay there. And it is just so satisfying. And the writer says that good words are as satisfying as a good meal to the stomach. When my wife says good words to me, it satisfies the most intimate, deepest need that I have on the inside. 
And I don't say this in any sexual connotation, so don't take it that way. But my wife can turn me on in a second with good words. And she could turn me off just as fast with saying something negative. It energizes me. It, it sparks life into me when she says good and kind words. And we want to be individuals that, that push good words out as well. If you would, would you bring the verse back up? Because I actually want to show something about this verse. Notice that it doesn't say anything about good fruit from a man's mouth or bad fruit. It just says the fruit of a man's mouth, uh, his stomach will be satisfied. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. I want to get just a little bit deep here, and I'd like you to really think about what that's saying. It's saying that what comes out of my mouth, the fruit that is produced from my mouth, is coming from a seed that's been planted down in my soul. What's inside of me wants to come out, and when it does, it's satisfied, whether that's good or bad. It wants to be satisfied by coming out. And so we can tell what's on the inside based on what's coming out of our mouth at any given moment. And that tells me that if I want to start saying good things to my wife, and I want to be an individual that encourages my wife and speaks life to her, I need to fix me. My focus does not need to be to fix my wife. My focus needs to be to fix me because what's on the inside of me is going to be what comes out. Look at Luke chapter 6 verse 45. It says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For out of his mouth speaks from that which is from his heart. So out of the good treasure of my heart is what I'm going to speak. If I have an evil treasure in my heart, that's what's going to come out of my mouth. This tells me that changing and being an individual that speaks life to my wife, the onus is on me. It's not on my wife. If I'm saying hurtful words, if I'm agitated or irritated and I say something, I kind of bark at her and maybe say something that hurts her feelings, it's not my wife's fault that I said those things. It's my fault that I said those things because it came from inside of me. It didn't come from the outside. And some of you know, some of you, you may say, but you don't know my husband. He always irritates me and, you know, he can't seem to pick his underwear up and I always have to pick it up for him. And, or he always says these mean things to me. So yeah, sometimes I say mean stuff to him, but it's because he keeps saying mean stuff to me or vice versa. Guys, you might say, you know, yeah, I kind of got on my wife yesterday, but man, you have no idea how much she nags me and, and the stuff she's been saying, you know, it's just, it's irritating me. How often when we're offended, or uh, something is negative that happens that generates this negative response out of us, we want to look at the outside. We want to justify. I got angry because you did this. Scripture says the fact that they did it had nothing to do with you getting angry. You got angry because there's something on the inside that's rotten, that's not right. And all of us are there, all of us. There is not one of us in this room that this doesn't apply to. We all struggle with our words. We all struggle with saying hurtful and mean things at times. But what it does is it reveals what's on the inside. So what do we do? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. If you'll leave that verse up for just a second. Watch over your heart with all diligence. The words watch over 
It means to inspect, to protect, to guard, or to maintain. In other words, if you were to look at that, you would say, inspect your heart with all diligence. Watch over, or I'll say, maintain your heart with all diligence. Protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. I looked up what it means, what a spring was, because I don't know, if I was driving down the road and I saw a thing of water, I go, oh, look at the river. I, I wouldn't know the difference between a spring or a river. So I thought, well, what is a spring? So I looked it up, and a spring is a source of water that comes from the ground. It's, it's a source of water flowing out of the earth to feed the earth. That's what a spring is. Our hearts are exactly the same way. Our hearts spring forth life where they should. Our hearts, our soul, what's inside of us, who we are, our personalities should be springing forth in life to individuals around us. Because God has created us to be life givers. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, now go multiply, bring life. God never brought death. Death came from sin. God brought life. God is the author of life, and he expects us to replicate and duplicate life in all that we do, including our words. But as I said, it said, watch over your heart with all diligence. There's this warning. Watch your heart, because out of it should flow springs of life. And if negativity is coming out, it's something going on in the heart. So I said the words watch over, it means to inspect. How do you inspect your heart? The best way to inspect your heart is to evaluate your speech and ask yourself, how have I been talking lately? What words have I been using? And yes, I do mean curse words, but I also just mean words of encouragement. Or have you been using destructive words, gossip, slanderous words? By the way, in scripture where you, talk, where you read that the warning against slandering others, that word slander in the Greek is the word diablos. We get the word devil from it because it comes from the devil. Think about Peter for a moment when uh, Peter approached Christ and he, and he rebuked Christ over something and Jesus turned and he says, get behind me, Satan. That did not come from your father in heaven. That came from the devil. And so the enemy wants to use our words to speak death to one another, but God wants us to use our words to speak life. And then it says, or the words watch over can also mean to protect and guard. How do you protect and guard your heart? It says protect your heart, guard your heart. Why? Because it's so easy for the negative of this world to get in on the inside, and then we go spew it out on everybody else that we come in contact with. So the Bible, the writer of Proverbs says, guard your heart, protect it. And the most practical way I could say to protect your heart is this, don't take the offense. If somebody says something to you, don't take the offense. When we take that offense and we pull it on on the inside, we start to mull, I can't believe that person said that to me. They don't even know me. How could they say that? And, and all of a sudden we're taking this offense to something that somebody said and that offense turns to bitterness and bitterness turns to sickness and sickness turns to death and it just destroys our life. All because somebody else had a bad seed planted in them and it came, the fruit came out of their mouth of what was on their inside. And we grabbed the fruit and we planted the seed now in us. And it's before long that that fruit is going to start to produce out of us. 
because we take those offenses. So guard your heart. Careful uh, that you don't take offenses like that. But also guard your heart with your relationships, your external relationships, the people that you hang around. Don't let that negativity that they have work its way in you. Careful about the movies that you watch and things like that. Don't be entertained by uh, evil and wicked things that would come in your heart and, and, and plant a seed there that is eventually going to come out in a negative way. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, and this is good practical advice. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, uh, are honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. The word dwell there, it means to take an inventory. But it's the word dwell. So put it together. Take an inventory and stay there. Take an inventory and live in that attitude of taking a positive inventory of all of those good things about your spouse or your loved ones or your friends or whatever. There's plenty of things that you could take an inventory on negative. Matter of fact, those tend to be some of the first things that pop into our mind, all the stuff that really irritate us about about the other individual. But how about sitting down and taking an inventory of all the great things about your spouse? I started to do that yesterday, and my wife goes, don't bother, I already made you a list, and she gave it to me. (laughs) It was a long list. It was long. Um... No, but take that inventory and live there. Why? Because it plants the good seed into your life so that good words will will come out. It'll reflect good things. The second point on your outline, words create worlds. Words create worlds. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is, can be a wicked instrument for death and destruction. And the question that we have, especially on this point, words create worlds, is what world have you created? What atmosphere have you created in your marriage relationship, in your friendships, in your dating relationships? What world have you created there? Because our words have that power to create the life. It can destroy a relationship And it could redirect the course of someone's life forever. Think about something. I want to get a little bit deep here. Just a little bit. Not too bad. Death. Death is not a natural thing to God. It's as unnatural as anything could be to God. He never created death. He created life. Death came into the world because of sin. It's very contrary to God. When we have a death of a loved one, it was never intended to be that way, ever. It's, con- it's why it hurts. It's why there's pain. It's not the way God intended it to be, but it is that way because of sin. When we allow words, and by the way, when we allow negative death-type words to come out of our mouth and hurt our relationships around us, um, we separate ourselves from God's perfect attention in our intentions in our life. We step out of his will when we do those things because that is not God. The enemy speaks death. God wants us to speak life in everything that we do. 
I may have told this story before. I still haven't got a full consensus. I just, I seem to recall I had this analogy. Um, but everyone else seems like they've heard this story for the first time. So maybe I never used this analogy before. I've never used it this way before. When I was in the third grade, I had a third grade teacher, Miss Epstein. And every week she would give away the Sunshine Award. And on Friday, just before we would leave to go home. And I wanted so bad to get the Sunshine Award. I just... I want to go home and show my mom and dad this sunshine, this certificate, saying that I was the best student this week. I cleaned the chalkboards. I came in from PE. I got all my homework done. I had the best attitude. And I was just sitting there like, oh, please call my name, call my name, call my name. And she called my name. She says, this week's Sunshine Award goes to Big Ears. (laughs) That was my third grade pitcher, Big Ears. And it's the last time you will ever see my ears in a picture again until I was about 20 years old. I would never wear the hair over my ears ever again because that teacher that day spoke death to my uh, confidence. And I remember being very self-conscious. Cute, right? Kind of looks like Opie a little bit. Uh, maybe Ricky Ricardo on the hair, you know, my mom always had that wave thing going on and I'd beg her not to comb my hair that way she would do it. I never realized what a high forehead, maybe they should have teased me for my forehead. I don't know, but um, anyways. Um, so, but she spoke death to me in that moment. I, I'm telling you, I remember being in high school and being distracted, not able to concentrate on what the, it, my teachers were saying in high school because I was worried about my appearance and how I looked in my ears specifically. In high school, I'd take photos. You'll see it. i let the hair grow over my ears. It didn't shrink my ears. So I had like these bat wings of hair like growing outside of my head, you know. And I don't know. Somehow it, it made me feel better, I guess. But uh, thank God I've grown into them. At least I hope. Uh, but words create worlds. Um, and it could speak death to us, and we don't want to be that way. Fortunately, though, our tongue has the power to speak life as well. And that is so much more powerful to speak life into somebody. And when we allow ourselves to go up and encourage somebody and say a kind word, and, and just give an encouraging word to somebody, or you see somebody that's depressed or, or hurting or sick or whatever, and you go up and you just encourage them and you talk to them in a kind way, do you realize you're allowing yourself to be one of the most important instruments in God's arsenal at that time? Like God is speaking through you in that moment. The enemy does not speak life. There is nothing in our enemy that speaks life. Life comes from our Father. And so when we let our tongues be that instrument of life to somebody, you're allowing God to use you. And I imagine that... Some of you are more seasoned in your faith. Some of you are newer and you're just like, God, I want you to use me. How come you never use me? You're not recognizing that God's using you. If you'll just let your tongue be an instrument of life, what greater way could God possibly use you? You might be thinking, I don't think I've ever heard it. I I always hear people say, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. And maybe you're sitting here today and you think, I don't think God's ever spoken to me. I want to know what that sounds like. What does it sound like when he speaks to me? I would challenge and I would say if 
you've ever had an encouraging word said to you, God has spoken to you. And if someone encourages you today, I want you to think and take it and go, God, thank you for this gift. You just gave me the gift of life. You just spoke encouragement to me. Now, it might be a physical person in front of you that did it, but I guarantee you it is motivated by the Holy Spirit and, and, and God to speak life and encouragement to somebody always. Even from a non-believer. It doesn't have to come from a, a believer. Non-believers can speak life to us. God can use a non-believer just like he used a donkey in the Old Testament, right? He could use any instrument he wants to speak life. The enemy does not speak life. So if life comes from our mouth, that is God's blessing to us. And I want to be a blessing. Um, and so I want to personally, this is where I was challenged this week. I just, it refreshed my focus on, Lord, I need to consciously be looking for opportunities to share life with people and be an encourager. Um, people who study this stuff, secular people say it takes five positive words to negate one negative. I don't know how true that is, but I believe the concept is true in that it's, it's hard to overcome something that's been spoken to us in death. It can be really hard to overcome, and we need to just keep encouraging one another. If I've hurt my wife, or if you've hurt your wife or your husband, how can we go about fixing it? What is another practical way? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says this, uh, so that he might sanctify her, it's talking about the husband towards the wife, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The word word there in the Greek is the Greek word rhema, means God's spoken word. If I held this book up to you and I said, what is this? What is this? Some of you would say, oh, it's a Bible. Some of you would say the word of God, it's the word. Um, those of you new to, to being a Christian or just coming to church, you might hear us say sometimes, oh, you know, I got my word. And you might go, that's weird. I mean, non-believers must think we're weird because we kind of have that weird language sometimes, you know. And when we say the word, we're referring to this right here. As a noun, the word is just a book. But if I open up these pages and I apply them, it becomes a verb. God's spoken word, his rhema, the power of God is alive and active in this scripture. And it's able to come in and change me from the inside out by me reading God's word, by us reading God's word today and us receiving it. It's like seed being planted down in our heart that's going to produce a brilliant and wonderful crop. So we need to be in God's word daily. We need to be studying God's word and reading devotion and praying because all of those things, it changes us. Now think about it. When you first accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I've been a Christian a long time. I've talked to a lot of people as they've accepted the Lord and not in all cases, I would say in the majority of cases, about a month or so after accepting the Lord, you'll be talking to them and they'll just be like, I don't know what happened. Like I don't, I don't cuss as much as I used to. And that's like one of the first things to kind of clean up in an individual's life. And I didn't do this the first two services. I'll just have fun with it here. How many of you would say that when you accept the Lord as your Lord and Savior, one of the first things to clean up in your life was your mouth? Yeah, the majority. And why is that? Because you start to take God's word in. And just as it says, it produces a crop. And the crop starts to look a whole lot better than it used to. 
And God begins to change us with, uh, from the inside out. And um, God can do that. If you're having issues with your husband and spouse, open up God's word and start to pray out loud God's word over your husband and spouse. Just let it wash them. Just let it wash them. The last point on your outline today is, is it possible to be happy? Is it? This ain't a question. <clears throat> Sorry. It is possible to be happily married inwardly and outwardly. My wife told me it was. So um, Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I would say we could also say she who finds a husband finds a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. That marriage relationship, it should be a good thing. When we, when we follow it the way God has called us and we live it the way God has called us to live in that marriage relationship, it's a good thing. And the words good thing there, it, it, uh, it can mean pleasant and agreeable to the senses, the outward, a happy marriage. He who finds a good wife, a good husband, finds a good thing. It's, it can give you a happy life. So if you put it all together with what the writer of Proverbs is saying, is he says, you know, when you first started dating, you were saying, and hopefully you still do this, um, but it started out with good words. Let's say it starts with good words. And you exchange with one another and you start to connect with one another and, and you, join, you get this friendship going and it, it's, it's satisfying that deep longing, that deep desire that you have to connect with another individual on a friendship level, on an intimate level, romantic level, um, control the romance till you get married. But, you know, um, it, all of those connections happen from the good words that you exchange with one another, and it satisfies the inside. And when you do that, it moves to the outside, and produces this happy marriage. Sad to see, really, all of the individuals that have been married 25 plus years, their kids grow up and move out of the house, and the next thing you hear, they're getting a divorce. And it could be shocking to us on the outside, but in reality, it didn't happen overnight. It came from years of planting negative seed into one another. And that fruit just kept producing and getting a little more rotten and a little more rotten. And it would exchange back and forth one, to one another. And, the, and there would just be so much pain uh, that it would seem hard to overcome. And maybe you're here today and you would say that my marriage is in that spot. It's on the rocks. Or it's moving that direction. But David, there's just so much water that's passed under that bridge. So many hurtful words have been exchanged between the two of us. I just don't know that I could forgive my husband. I, I wish I could. I just don't know that I can. I don't know that I trust him. And for the husband, he may, he's no doubt saying the same thing. I don't know that I could trust my wife with my feelings and my heart. And there's, she said so many painful things and she doesn't respect me and she doesn't care for me. And the wife is saying he doesn't love me anymore. And, and you're just at this crossroads where it feels like it may not be repaired. But I want to encourage you, it can. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. Let's go back to the first verse we read this morning. It says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a citadel. You might say, David, I thought you were going to encourage us. Here you're telling us that we offend somebody, they're harder to win than a strong city. 
And I would propose to you that it doesn't say it's impossible. It just says it's harder. As I was writing that this week and I was studying it yesterday, I kind of got laughing a little bit because it dawned on me and I thought, man, what a funny analogy it was. How many of you have seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? And Jim Carrey goes to the gal. He likes her a lot. And he goes, hey, what are my chances? And she goes, oh, they're not good. And he goes, not good like one in a hundred not good? And she says, nah, more like one in a million not good. So you're telling me I got a chance, he says. <laughs> Funny. Uh, it could be hard, but it's not impossible. Now, here's the real encouraging thing with that verse. It says to win a brother over or a sister back, it could be harder than taking on a strong city. Now, why would it be hard to take on a strong city? Because of its defenses. You can't overtake a, a city that has a stronghold around it because of the defenses that are up. So here's my exhortation to you as married couples, especially if too much hurt and pain has been shared, too much death has been shared across bows at one another. Here's my encouragement to you. Let your defenses down. Just let them down. How can it hurt? And you might say, David, I don't know that I could let my defenses down. There's just too much pain in that emotion. I, I don't want to expose myself to any more pain. I got to keep my defenses up to protect myself. I'm going to say, if you do that, I truly believe God is going to protect you emotionally. But each one of you have to be willing to let your defenses down. Husband, do not for one second focus on the failures of your wife because the problem in your marriage, as far as you're concerned, has everything to do with you alone. You have to fix yourself. Wife, do not look at your husband and go, if he would only start doing this, I would do this. Don't do that. You have to fix yourself, wife. Husband, you must fix yourself. And if you'll let your defenses down, I believe the Holy Spirit will move in in power and begin to heal that relationship. Take some of these things that we talked about. Guard your heart. Get into God's word. If you're not into God's word, I don't know how any marriage could be successful without God being in the very center of it. Just as when you accepted the Lord and you started to feed on God's word, your personality, your soul, everything about you began to change. God will do the exact same restoration in your marriage and resurrection of life. And this is in no way a condemning marriage. Any one of us married couples in this room could fall into a, a, a cycle in a, whirl, a whirlwind, a tornado of destructive words and hurtful words that can potentially sit there for many, many years and ultimately lead to a destructive marriage. Every one of us, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you could let your guard down, say the wrong thing, bring death to your relationship, and if you don't seek repentance and restoration, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a death and a disease in your marriage. You have to guard against that. Revelations chapter 2 verse 4 is a practical way we could do that. 2 verses 4 and 5. Jesus here is actually speaking, and he's speaking to the church that has lost its first love. Now Jesus calls the church his bride. So this is very, very much like a relationship of husband and wife here. And Jesus looks to his church and he's saddened because she's, the relationship that he once had with this church isn't the way it used to be. And it made God sad. And, and Jesus says, I want to fix it. And so he says, 
But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. There's three practical things we can do in our marriage relationship today if you're in this spot that will bring healing. Number one is remember. Remember the way you used to talk to one another. Think about how it was in the beginning. Think about the good old days when it was exciting and you just couldn't wait to talk on the phone or write a love letter, whatever it might be. Remember, the second thing to do is to repent. Change the way that you've been speaking to your spouse. Talk to them. Men, talk to your wives in a loving way. Express love to them. Wives, show respect to your husbands and respect your husband. And then the final thing that this verse tells us to do is do. Do what you did when you first got married. Think about what that was and go back and start to recultivate that. Let your defenses down. Let life begin to flow out of you and all the words that you have for one another. And like my mom used to say, if you have nothing good to say, then don't say anything. Find good things to talk about and express it to one another. Watch the healing that God will do. Let's pray.